I wanted to remind you what we've been looking at. We've been looking at the book of Psalms. And if you're new here, uh, you might say, uh, this was the most depressing thing I ever heard read. Why did you pick Psalm 88? Well, uh, I did that for a reason. It's for good reason. And we're going to see why um, later on as we go through this. But remember what we're saying about this series in the psalm, the psalms, is that the psalms really do shape us. That they mold us. That they work as uh, a set of hands almost that begin to make something beautiful out of us because they teach us how to love God. And I really think tonight, maybe more than any psalm that we've looked at so far, that it is in this psalm that you get a brilliantly clear picture of what it looks like to love God. And um, I hope that you'll see that tonight. So Psalm 88, we're looking at it. I'm titling it The Language of Lament. We're going to look at what I mean by that as the night goes on. But let me open with a brief story, and that's just going to stay down tonight. Okay, shows me what happens when I lose my notes. Uh, I do want to start. Uh, Ashlyn Blocker. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of her. She's a normal 13-year-old girl, well, for the most part. She plays clarinet in the band. She's a middle schooler with an older brother at home who she fights with often. Um, She is involved with pageants in her little local town. She's quite normal, except for one thing. A few months ago, when she was at home making ramen noodles uh, there in her house, she, um, something amazing happened. As she was pouring the seasoning for ramen noodles, you know that five-star meal that we have all made and shame, ashamed of for actually making, she uh, was pouring the seasoning in, and as she did, hey, thanks, John, thank you so much. As she's pouring in the seasoning there, thanks, man, um, The fork that she was stirring the noodles with fell into the pot of boiling water. And instinctively, she plunged her hand into the boiling water to pull the fork out. Now you probably just caught what I said. Instinctively? Like, who instinctively does that? Well, you and me don't, because you and me are different than Ashlyn. Ashlyn has a genetic disorder that she doesn't feel pain. So she plunged her hand in because that's what you do when you want to put something back in your hand. And so she pulled her hand out of this boiling water and where there were you know, severe burns on her hand and the whole bit. Now, when she was actually two years old, um, she was outside and had laid her hands square on a, a gas engine, which you know if you do that will just scald your hands. Her parents came back and looked and there she was without tears as a two-year-old just looking at her burnt, charred uh, flesh. Now, some of you might think this is, <laughs> this is some sort of superpower. Never feeling pain? Man, that would be great. That would be awesome, right? But as any doctor will tell you, pain really is a gift to the body. It tells you when something is wrong or when danger is near. It tells you to stay away. And it's a good system to have on all the time. I mean, imagine for a moment that you had appendicitis and there was never any signals telling you that there was something wrong with your appendix in your abdomen. Your life would be at risk. So you could imagine the danger that it is. Well, I actually want to share with you this. That I think that you and me 
I believe that you and me are actually longing to be little Ashlands. It's a bold statement, Ryan. What do you mean? Well, I don't necessarily mean it with physical pain, but what I actually do mean it with is the sort of pain of the heart. Abandonment, loneliness, pain, heartache, sorrow, all of these things hurt deeply. And if we're honest, we all try to avoid them. And that, y'all, is why Psalm 88 is so needed for you and me today. Why? Here's why. Psalm 88 is a lament. It is a prayer to God filled filled with longing about God for Him to actually act on the prayer's behalf. And why? It's a prayer given in response to pain. And so the singer, the writer, cries out to God because things are not right. He wonders why God is doing the things that He is doing. Y'all, it is an incredibly intimate view of a man wrestling with the hard circumstances in his life. And that is what a lament is. A lament gives voice to our pain and our sufferings. The laments fill the book of Psalms. In fact, most of them are actually laments. And I believe that Psalm 88 is going to teach us three very important things. They're on your sheet there. First of all, Psalm 88 is going to show us what a lament names. What it names. And then secondly, the the psalm is going to show us what the lament wrestles with. And then lastly, but not leastly, it's going to show us what the lament assumes. So what it names, what it wrestles with, and what a lament assumes. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. So I'm going to invite you to turn your eyes to the text there in Psalm 88. Did you notice um, what was going on there in the verses 3 to 5? The, uh, the writer's name is He-Man, which if you grew up in the 80s, you would have said He-Man, because that was the toys that I played with. But uh, Himan is a broken man. Look there in verse 3 to 5. He says this, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. Now, what was Sheol? What does this word mean? We have to understand it to know what he's talking about. Sheol was the place of the dead. Okay, It would be equivalent to like a grave, or the place where the dead lie. And the reason that he is saying this is because this is the language that he has found to express how difficult life is. Or, to put it another way, it's the language that he has found to actually name the dark circumstances in his life. Now, we do this too, right? We talk about death in this way a lot. You know, when you get embarrassed and your face gets flushed, what do you say? Oh my gosh, I could just die. Get me out of here, right? Or perhaps when you have lost a loved one, and the pain is so severe and so hard, what do you often say? The sorrow is too much. I just want to die. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're suicidal. It means that you don't know of any other place to go, and you want to get away from the hard stuff of life. Do you see that? Have you ever experienced that sort of stuff? 
Listen to what one writer, a guy named Michael Card, writes about what a lament is. This is profound. He says, we are all born into a world we're not really made to inhabit. We were created for God, made to flourish in the comfort of the presence of our Father within the warm context of His undeniable loving kindness. But now, in this fallen world, we are cut off from them both. In order to turn around and move once more in the direction of God, we must find this path that He has carved out. We must call out to Him in the language that He has provided. We must regain the tearful trail. We must relearn lament. Y'all, living in this world means that there will be real ache. And from this ache, we are meant to cry out to God by expressing us, by expressing it. Most of us, listen, most of us don't know what to do with a lament. We try to deny or bury, don't raise your hands, our pain. Do you find yourself doing that? Don't shake your head, just remain completely still. But most of us don't know how to handle pain. We don't know how to do with it, do with it. So we just say it's not there, right? And this is where I have to tell on us a little bit as Christians. For most of us as Christians, we've learned that to be a Christian means happiness and celebration all the time. And so when real pain comes in our life, we don't know what to do with it, so we fake it or we bury it. But the psalm here is so important to us because guess what it's doing? It's helping to give us language on how to express to God all the things that we suffer with and struggle with. Imagine if you were in Mexico and you didn't know the language, but you saw the clear stuff running through the riverbed. Now you're going to know that it's water. And you're going to want to communicate perhaps with people in Mexico, but you don't know what to call it and what you need, right? You need the word agua to be able to help you express what you want to talk about. Well, that's what a lament is. A lament is a God-given gift of expression to know how to experience, to talk about, and to express the things that are wrong. There are things that are wrong with the world. So what do I challenge you with? Here it is. I very simply want you to begin to ask this question. Do I believe that I have a place in Christianity for my pain, brokenness, and sorrow? In other words, do you see that the Bible does not deny what real pain and brokenness look like? Look, y'all, I'm not trying to be depressing tonight, okay? I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to say this is the way that the Bible actually talks. For most of us, though, we don't know how to deal with it because it's outside of our experience. And so I'm saying, let's sit in it, let's deal with it, and let's learn new ways. Does that make sense? So where are you tonight? Maybe you're not feeling broken and sad and there's not major pain going on in your life. For those of you that are, Psalm 88 is for you. Because it's a way to cry. It's a way to moan. And for those of you that aren't struggling tonight, 
that aren't experiencing pain of any way, you're going to at some point if you live in this world. And you're going to need words at some point, aren't you? Psalm 88 helps us. It helps us to name and to express all that we're feeling before God. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, it's not just that the lament helps us to name something. I've mentioned as well that the lament wrestles with something. Well, what in the world do I mean? Well, turn your eyes again to the text there. We're going to be looking at text uh, verses 6 through 8, and then 15 to 18 there at the end. Did you notice what was going on? Did you catch what he said? Listen to some of these words there I'm reading. You have put me in the depths of the pit, verse 6. You caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. In verse 8, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 14. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and friend to shun me. Do you see it? He, man, is crying out because of what? He is saying all this aloneness and feelings of helplessness. You, God, you're the one that's brought them out. You're the one that's imposed them upon me. What? I mean, if there ever was a WTF in the Scriptures, this is it. It really is. It really is. That's what's going on here. He is aghast because he cannot believe that this is what is going on. If you have the NIV, the last verse reads this, that darkness has become my only companion. In other words, he's saying, my best friend, his name is Darkness. And it's all that I know because of you. Now, you just have to admit, if you're a TCU student, that right off the bat that this is shocking. Here in the Bible is a man mad and frustrated with God. He is upset and he is expressing it to God. He is angry with God and he is saying that he is angry with God. God, you're the one that has brought all this out. Think about that for just a second while I sip. (laughs) He has expected God to work differently in his life. In other words, He is wrestling with the hard circumstances that God in His sovereignty has brought out in His life. Now, does that shock you? Let that sink in a moment. He is in darkness and He feels like dying. And He's saying, God, You're the one that's responsible. I'm not implying in any way that God is the author of sin at all. In fact, He hates it, we read in Psalm 5.5. And Scripture is also emphatic in saying that sin does not have its origin with Him. 1 John 1.5. And in fact, the entire book of Lamentations shows that there are difficult things in life that an infinitely good God permits for reasons, hang on, for reasons that we may never know. I wish there were answers for everything. But there's not. But God in His grace gives us Psalm 88 to help us cry out 
when we hurt, when we don't know everything. Do you see that there? Lauren Winter, a professor at Duke University, puts it this way. The psalm contains illustration and illustration of God's faithful people calling God to account because their suffering defied not just explanation, but indeed God's very promises. The wrestling here is all over the psalm. And it's in all other laments. And I want to show you that there is no turn explicitly for hope in this psalm. In all the other laments in the Psalter, there is a turn for hope. In this one, there is none. In other words, there's no pink ribbon tied around it to make it pretty, to make it happy. It's not there. It's there in other psalms but not in 88. But isn't that, like, don't you want that at times? Don't you want to be able to go to God in the midst of all of the hot mess that you are and be able to express from the depths of your being the pain that resides therein, the frustrations that are there? Well, you have a model, you have an allowance to be able to do it here in Psalm 88. That is crazy. I remember, I'm reminded of a movie that Robert Duvall starred in. It was called The Apostle. And he was this preacher type. And his mother used to say about him, ever since he was an itty-bitty boy, sometimes he talks to the Lord and sometimes he yells at the Lord. Tonight, he just happens to be yelling at Him. Can you yell at the Lord? Does the God that you believe in, is He big enough for all your anger? Psalm 88 says He is. That's what's being said right here. Well, let's turn now to why the psalmist can actually be so bold. We haven't answered that yet. And I want to turn to that now as we look and consider this last point about what the psalmist assumes. Hey, did you notice there in, uh, in these verses that Rachel read how the psalm began in verses 1 and 2, it starts like this. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before You. Let my prayer come before You. Incline, in other words, hear, let Your ear come to my prayer. Y'all, this is an incredibly dense, incredibly dense couplet of verses. And like a Cracker Jack decoder ring, or if you've seen the Christmas story, it's like an Ovaltine decoder ring that tells us something about what is going on In the psalmist's mind, primarily this, it is showing us that there is a triad of profound beliefs here. What are they? I'll name them quickly. You can write them down. Intimacy, safety, and deep hope. I'll start with intimacy. First of all, this is a prayer addressed to God. And did you notice, look, look, turn your eyes to the page there. Do you see how the word Lord shows up in verse 1, verse 9, verse 13, 14? Do you see it there? And do you see how it's set off in all caps? That's the personal name of God. It's like Bob or Joe or Jenny. It's the way the Hebrew language would have conveyed the word Yahweh. And look, when you... When you hang out with your good friends, do you say, hey man, like you do to the stranger that you're passing, what's up dude? Or ladies, hey girl, what's going on? 
You wouldn't do that. I mean, you might say it at first, but you're also going to what? Call them by their name. And why do you do that? Because you know them. Because there's relationship there. Because there's intimacy of some way, right? The psalmist is using God's personal name because he views his relationship with him as deeply intimate. So intimacy. Secondly, safety. This reason is why he is able to pour out his response of wrestling with God. He believes that, his, that even his deepest of pains and questions won't cause God in one iota to abandon or leave him. I've got my wife's permission to tell this little story with her. When she was in ninth grade, she was asked by some senior to go to a rave. And um, she wanted to go, and um, she'd asked her parents, and this is caught on video, so this is one of the glorious things that you get to know about your spouse. Um, But her parents have said, absolutely not. You're not going to this. And Laura responds with, you guys are such losers. I hate you. And her parents just sort of laughed. You did this too when you were in middle school, right? You wanted to go somewhere. You begged your parents to go and they said no, right? Because they knew they were smarter than you, right? And they knew not to let you go do that. But my point is this. Do you realize that when you're able to do that, you're assuming something? That even all of you and your brash words are not going to destroy the relationship that your parents have with you. You can be as crazy as you want to be, and they're going to still love you. And you will say the dumbest things to them, and they will still be there with you. That's how safe you are. And that's why the writer can do this with God. Intimacy. Lastly, bold hope or incredible hope. Why do I use this? I'll move quickly. I just want you to begin to see that the reason that he can pour this out and we talk about great hope is this. You don't ask people. You do not complain to people who cannot and will not hear you and have the ability to change. It's why when you wanted to go to the rave when you were 15 years old, you didn't go to your neighbor across the street. Because they, one, weren't going to put up with you. And two, they couldn't do anything about it. Do you see that? So in other words, the very, it's, there's proof in the pudding, y'all, that when he's crying out, it presupposes, it assumes that the writer believes that God has the actual power and the ability to change the circumstances in his life. There is deep hope here in this psalm. And that's what I want you to hear me say. It wasn't explicit. It's implicit. It is assumed that that is what's going on in this context here. Do you see it? Think about that. When you complain, who are you complaining to? It's people you know, and it's people that have the ability to change something. And there's incredible safety and intimacy there with that person. That's what's going on in this text. You ever thought about that? That's what's here. This is a beautiful psalm. Well, I want to begin to close. And we've looked now at the language of lament and why we as Christians so desperately need it. There is real joy with God, to be sure. But I want you to see that this side of the new heavens and new earth, 
that sin and pain and brokenness really, really do exist. They will be erased one day. Trust me. That is what the Bible says. But how? How? How will these horrible intruders, death and sin, how will they finally be eradicated from existence? Well, we have to look to another lamenter. As Jesus was dying, He actually recited part of Psalm 22, which do you know what that is? A lament. It says, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? He named that things weren't right in the world as He experienced real separation from the Father. And this was born out of a wrestling with the hard circumstances that God Himself had given Him. But here, y'all, here, here is the turn. There wasn't safety. Because what happened to Jesus? He died. He experienced, do you remember what happened from the sixth hour to the ninth hour? That there was darkness all over the land? In other words, darkness was His real companion. That He knew and He got the real darkness so that you would only sense it. Do you see that? And He's done that because, y'all, of His incredible and infinite love for sinners. And when He did this, He set the events into motion to absolutely eradicate once and for all, all tears. In John chapter 11, Jesus stands before a grave. His friend has just died. And in the shortest verse in all the Bible we read of Jesus weeping. So do you know that? Do you know that we have a God that cries? And in Revelation chapter 4, at the end of time, at the end of history, it says this, that He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I want you to see this, that the God who weeps is the God who wipes those tears away as well. What a profound picture, y'all. Lament. That's what we've looked at tonight. I encourage you to pray this. I encourage you to read this. I encourage you to use this when life sucks. The Bible is glorious in this way. It is not scared of you. Profound honesty with the Lord. Here it is. Will you pray with me?